Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke Podcast from my little cubicle here in East Greenbush, New York, where I work with Pastor John Westfall. You need to listen to According to John on different podcast platforms where we team together. We're kind of like a Christian version of Cheech and John, people have told me. So today I want to share with you something that's part of my soul it's been part of my ministry from the beginning. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, for those of you that are seekers, man, this is going to help you to find. And for those of you who have been in the gospel and have that fire burning in your heart, you want to share your faith, this is going to help you to be able to share your faith more effectively. I got this from my pastor back in like 1972, 73. He just had the keen ability to take the simple Bible verses that we kind of know and fit them together where we get it, where, you know, God will talk to you, man, if you know what I'm saying. So when we think about salvation, um, so many people just are, are you know, just lost. And um, I've learned is in my study of Satan and spiritual warfare, for people who are lost, the enemy, our spiritual enemy, makes them think they're okay. And uh, then the moment you get saved, our enemy wants us to think, oh, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't think this, you wouldn't say that. And so he's just there, our enemy, to deceive us, to, to uh, and it's the Word of God that will straighten us out and give us that absolute full assurance. Something else, kind of a little added thing about uh, the message I want to share with you today. Uh, I like to call it, Where Am I? It also just shows you that the phenomenal book we call the Bible. Man couldn't have written this book if he wanted to, and he would not have written it if he could have. So you think about that, where am I? Uh, say you wanted to uh, go to a destination. We're heading to Sarasota, Florida for the winter, our third year as snowbirds, and then back up from there to South Carolina to join our son and uh, be departing our, our beloved state of New York. That's the people, not the government, not the taxes, and not the winter. But uh, back in the old days when you wanted to go to a destination, you would get a roadmap. Now, you lay out the roadmap, and there's all kinds of lines, red and green, and going this way, that way, north, south, east, west, all that. And uh, little divisions between state lines, rivers, all that stuff's on the map. What's the first thing you look for? People say, well, your destination. That's not going to do you any good. That math is still worthless at that point. No, the first thing you look at is where am I, where you are. You put your finger on that point on the map, and then you put your finger on your destination, and you try to figure out what's the best route. Uh, if I'm heading south, uh, I could just forget about all the the freeway east, the freeway west, the 87 north to the south, uh, up to Montreal. So you, you just kind of blur out all the other things. You just find out where am I? where I want to go, and then it starts to fit together. We're going to use that same exact formula when we look at scriptures and we know that our destination is heaven, or God wants our destination to be heaven. And I've never met anybody yet who wanted their destination to be hell. So we just kind of have that subtly in the back of my will go to heaven one day, no brainer. But we got a, a roadmap, and the roadmap... Uh, 
is the word of God, the Holy Bible. So where do we, where do we look first? Where am I? My Bible's open Romans chapter three, verse nine. It says, what then are we better than they? It's talking about Christian people. Are, am I better than somebody else? No. Uh, in no wise, I'm not better than anybody else. Maybe I'm a seeker and they're not, but I'm not better than anyone else. Uh, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles. Anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile, so I think about 99.9% of my audience would be Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, even though the Jews are God's chosen people, even though the Gentiles are not God's chosen people in reference to being um, the Messianic nation, he loves us all the same. We have proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. That's where you and I are at. That's where we begin. But it can get a little complicated at that point. We're under sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, it depends who you speak to. <laughs> I had uh, Mormons across the street when I was a child, and they, they said, if uh, I drink a cup of coffee, this is strong iced coffee. Pastor John brings me every morning. When we do our podcast together, the problem with this stuff is in three days you start getting sleepy again. <laughs> um, my my Mormon neighbor said coffee is a sin and soda pop. Uh, in Ohio, we call it pop. Here in New York, of course, it's soda. And uh, so I thought, well, I, I don't think I'll ever want to be a Mormon. And my grandma was a Jehovah's Witness, and she thought, you know, celebrating your birthday or Christmas that, uh, or t- getting a blood transfusion, as I recall, were just terrible sins. So I thought, well, I guess I won't ever be that because I like birthday parties and Christmas. Uh, so my cousins were Roman Catholic, and they told little Duke, if you eat a piece of bologna on Friday, you'll go to hell. And then, hey, I, they love me. I love them. And that's what they thought, and that's what they told me because they didn't want me to go to hell. And so I'd take my little Wonder Bread sandwich out on Friday morning, open it up, bologna with ketchup. I'd look both ways, look up, say, okay, God, I don't want to go to hell. And I was like six, seven, eight years old, take that piece of bologna, throw it in the trash because I didn't want to take any chances. I guess I had a God consciousness even as a child. So whoever you go to, you get different ideas about what is sin. So let's just tune out religion. Let's just tune out people. Let's just do what we're supposed to do. Go to the Word of God. I have my Bible open. We're going to find out if I'm under sin, what does that mean? <laughs> what is sin? And so I'm, my Bible's open to Genesis chapter 2. We're in the Garden of Eden. It's kind of a tail end of the creation story. God has created Adam, not yet uh, uh, created Eve. And he plants a tree in the middle of the garden in Genesis chapter 2. And he said in verse 17, but of the tree... Uh, and the Lord commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. That's verse 16, and now in verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. How many rules? One. What was the rule? Don't eat of that tree. What's the consequences of? If you eat it, you die. Adam's standing there like, okay. I don't think he's understanding what death is. I don't think he... But he's listening. He knows it's important. He's gotten instruction from his creator, from his God. It's pretty clear. And, I, I, and of course, we know the next chapter, which we're going to dive into and exegete just a little bit, Genesis chapter 3, where we have the fall of man. And we're going to see how this whole gospel story 
unfolds. Right from the very beginning, God knew what was going to happen. And he had a plan to fix the problem that's going to happen. It's a big problem, but it's a bigger remedy in Genesis chapter 3. So we have the serpent, chapter 3, more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And I remember in my search, in my journey at the beginning days when I didn't know the scriptures and I wasn't a church kid, all of this was brand new to me. God gave us minds that we would use them. And I was learning to connect the dots. I remember thinking and asking in my heart, kind of looking to heaven, sort of, is it okay to ask these questions? Why, God, would you uh, plant that tree in the middle of the garden? Because you knew what they would do in chapter 3 because you know everything. You see the end from the beginning. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to connect those dots. God is love. I I always believed that even before I I knew the scripture, even before I was saved, I always wanted to believe, and I sort of did believe God is love. But if God is love, why would he plant a tree in the middle of the garden knowing that man would take of that fruit and sin would enter the world, and death by sin, so death would pass upon all for all have sinned. Why did you do that? God is love. And then I got it for me. It's an illustration. It just turned the lights on for me. God is love. I love my wife, and I love to be loved back by my wife. (laughs) It's awesome, and God is love. He wants that love to be a two-way street. Now we'll take another verse, something Jesus said to me, just turn the lights on. If you love me, that's what God wants. He wants us to know him, to love him. Uh, to be with him, to do life with him, to do eternity with him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see that? And how many commandments did God give Adam? Uh, Just one. (laughs) But when Adam was in obedience to God, just on that one thing, what was he saying by putting the words of Jesus into that situation? He was showing God that I love you too. I I trust you. I I don't understand everything, but you're big, you're good, you're God, you created it. Obviously, you love me, put me in paradise. And so, okay, I'll trust you, I'll obey you, and that's love. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And so God only needed one rule. That's all it took. You know, I've raised three kids and helping, assisting and raising eight grandchildren. Let me tell you, we got way more than just one rule at our house. And every one of those rules are love rules. (laughs) We want what's best for those kids, for these grandbabies, man. And yet they don't understand it. They think we're mean because we we won't uh, give them chocolate for breakfast. (laughs) Uh, they don't want broccoli, they want chocolate, they want candy, they want dessert, but love will hold them accountable. And God loves us. So he had to put a tree in the middle of the garden. He had to have a rule. He had to give man opportunity to love him back. We call that in theology volition. God gave us a choice. And he told us, choose life, Uh, choose blessing. But nonetheless, he gave us choice because without a choice, We'd be little robots. Some people be, I love you, Jesus, love you, Jesus, love you, Jesus. Other people are, are murdering and pillaging and doing evil things. No, no, God created us all in the image of God. Breathed into our nostrils, the breath of life, man became a living soul. Give him just one rule. It's all he needed. If you love me, keep my commandments. And God knew 
<laughs> what he would do in chapter 3. And I like to think that the same hand that planted that tree, those same hands, God's hands, that planted that tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, those same holy hands also planted a tree on Golgotha's hill. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain when? From the foundation of the world. Man, for me, the lights are coming on. It's not God's fault my dad was beating up my mom. It wasn't God's fault my friends were getting, and cousin got their brains blown out in Vietnam. It's not God's fault we have corruption in our government. I begin to hold man accountable for his sin and not blame God for the evil that people do who choose not to listen to God. And uh, it was God's long suffering, God's mercy that keeps that judgment from coming to people like me who were evil doing horrific things. God's long suffering was waiting. And so now we get into chapter three and we see that there's that tree and then we see this, this person, uh, this creature, this spirit being, the serpent was more subtle. And I ask people, who do you think the serpent is? And nobody's ever got that wrong. Oh, uh, that would be the devil. Yep, you got it right. And I was thinking in my journey, well, who is he? Where did he come from? It's a good question. The answer to, give is, to that question is given clearly in the Bible. For time's sake, I'm not going to go there, but you can go to Isaiah chapter 14 and you see the fall of Satan when he rebelled against God in heaven. Now, the fall of Satan on a chronological time frame actually happened prior to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. But something happened in heaven. God had created Satan, not the devil, created an angel, uh, Lucifer, son of the morning. Uh, he was a good guy, but angels also had volition. It seems from Scripture that uh, Lucifer was the, the brightest and, and perhaps the most intelligent uh, gifted. He was seemed to be heaven's music leader. We could do a whole message on, on Satan and all of that, who he was before he fell. But he rose up from his own heart and said, I will not be number two. I will be number one. That's kind of my phraseology of interpreting what he said. But I think it's Isaiah 14 around verse 12. He said, I will ascend to the throne of the Most High. I will be as God. And the next verse says, God says, no, you won't yet thou shalt be cut down to hell. Jesus said hell was created for the devil and his angels. We jump over to Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. We see what Jesus meant about those angels. When Satan fell, God used him. God allowed him to test the hearts of all of the angels that were in heaven, and one-third of them followed him. They joined his rebellion. They believed his lie. They turned against God, their creator. They exercised their volition and they followed Satan. They all got kicked out of heaven. And God could have sent them directly to hell, but he didn't. That raises a question in my seeking heart as a young man. God, okay, I think I know why you planted the tree in the midst of the garden, because you're love and you want man to be able to love you back. And if, if we keep your commandments, we're loving you. That's cool. I get that. We see Satan coming in. What's he doing in the Garden of Eden? Uh, he sees the, the woman. He's kind of isolated her, and he's going to try to bring her down. 
<laughs> and when you already know Isaiah 14, the exact same thing he did there, he's doing here. And God allowed that. God allowed this love relationship between man and God, God and man, to be tested. Let me tell you, summer of 76, I met the blonde chick, my beautiful wife, Joellen. And let me tell you, she's way more than just a pretty face and a feminine person. She is a soldier for the kingdom. She loves God. She's intelligent. She's educated. And man, I'll tell you, I fell in love with that girl. Now it's 45 years later, 46 years later from the summer we met, 45 since we got married. My love for her is stronger now than it was uh, summer of 76 when I met her. And let me tell you, summer of 76, that love was hot. <laughs> I couldn't get her off my mind, and uh, it, was, it was fierce. But our love now, 45 years later, some of that's tamed down a little bit, three kids and eight grandkids and one in heaven. Uh, later, building churches that started other churches. Oh, we've, we've, we've labored together. We've sacrificed together. We've been tested. We've been tried. Let me tell you, our love today is way stronger than it was summer of 76 when we first met and summer of 77 when we got married. God's going to use Satan again. He used him in heaven, even in his rebellion, even in his fall, even in his sin. He used him to test the hearts of the other angels. Are you for real? Do you really love God? If you really want to worship me, you don't have to worship me if you don't want to. And they believed the lie. They followed him. They're cast out of heaven. God could have sent them straight to hell, but he didn't. He allowed him to come to earth, and Satan's on exactly the same mission. I brought one-third of the angels down. Now I'm going after man, mankind, and God allowed this. God allowed that love relationship that he had with Adam and Eve to be tested. Satan has Eve isolated now, and the serpent was more subtle, crafty, deceitful. He's going to make bad things look like good things, and good things look like bad things. That's nothing new under the sun, uh, which the Lord God had made. And he said, Satan said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan knew the word of God. He's kind of quoting the word of God to Eve, but out of context. He's twisting it. He says in verse, or she says in verse 2, The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She knew what God said. Adam told her, and she knew it. She quotes back to him the word of God. See, Satan was questioning the word of God. Does the same to you and I. I have a promise from God. <laughs> God promised to take care of all my needs. And yet along the way, uh, I've doubted whether or not he would really keep his promise. So we we're in that human element of doubt. And she's there. He, and so he's casting doubt upon the word of God. Satan always does that. Every time I'm preaching, I see people getting it, and I see people, their eyes, just, their face shows that they're doubting the word of God. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. He just called God a liar. And Eve's kind of caught in between. And he continues his assault on the character of God, kind of blinding Eve's eyes, feeding her a bunch of 
I won't say the word crap. Oh, I just did. For God doth know, this is Satan speaking to Eve. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods. Isn't that exactly what he tried to be? Isaiah 14, I will be as God. He's taking that same lie and putting it on her. You'll be just like God, uh, as gods, knowing good and evil. Big, fat lie, my children would say. And can you imagine angels in heaven are like, no, Eve, don't listen to him. No, no. And she's torn. And now, verse 6, it happens. <laughs> Down goes the human race. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, mm, wait a minute, it's really not supposed to be food. You're not even supposed to touch it. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Satan always <laughs> makes sin look good. It looks so good. It'll feel so good. You'll be so cool. Uh, pleasant to the eyes, a tree to desire to make one wise. It's not going to make you wise. It's going to make you stupid. It's going to make you wise unto evil, which is no good. Everything you're going to learn from this is going to be destructive, not constructive. You don't have to do LSD to know it's not good. <laughs> but I was stupid, and I believed all the devil's lies, and he dangled temptation in front of me as a young man, and I took his bait, seemed like, every time. Pleasant to the eyes, desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Down came the human race. What happens? Consequence, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Every man for himself. Now, I'm sure Adam was seeking some assistance on this, I would guess. And Eve says, no way, baby, you're on your own on this. And they made, see, they're no longer comfortable. There's issues now in their relationships with each other. They're uh, conscious of their nakedness. They feel ashamed shame. They feel guilt. It motivates them to sew fig leaves together. To me, this is the birth of religion. This is what man does to make himself feel better before God. He's guilty. He's sinned. He knows something's wrong, doesn't really understand it all yet, doesn't know what to do, but feels impressed. I need to do something. And for me, I went to church. My mama took me to church as a little child, and then we're about 12, 11, 12. We'd stop going altogether. But I did have a foundation that there is a God. He created the universe, and someday I'm going to meet him, and I wasn't ready for that. And that's the whole reason for this podcast. So we will be ready. That's the whole reason for the church of Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus came that we would be ready. So now they're having issues with each other. They're uncomfortable with each other. They're covering themselves up. They're feeling shame. They're feeling guilt. Verse eight. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve, they hid themselves uh, from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. Now they're trying to hide from God. It used to be their favorite part of the day. Now they just want to hide out from God. They're not comfortable. And I remember in my lostness, uh, I was comfortable going to a bar. I was comfortable going to a dope party. I didn't know anybody and pull out a bag of dope and bottle of booze and you're in. But while I was comfortable being in those evil places, man, walking into church was uncomfortable. Felt like everybody's looking at me and I hope they don't make me do something weird. I, I just, isn't that amazing? See, that's what sin does to us. It fouls our relationships with each other. It makes us self-conscious. It makes us uncomfortable in the presence of a holy God because we're sinful now. And I kind of fast forward, kind of a uh, kind of an overview verse up from the New Testament about what happens here. It says, wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered in the world and death 
by sin, for all have sinned. And death passes upon all, for all have sinned. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where are you? Shows God has a sense of humor. God knew exactly where he was, but he's playing that game. I've raised children and grandchildren. They're like two and a half, three years old. We're playing hide and seek. They hide right in the middle of the room, cover their eyes with their hands, and they're giggling, and they think, man, they think because they can't see me, they think I can't see them. And so God's playing this little game with them. They're trying to hide from God. And Adam, where where are you? And then Adam fesses up. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And, and he said, who, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you not to eat thereof? You know, we do this with our children. I have a chocolate cake on the table. My six-year-old daughter, Rachel, helped me to, to make the cake, to frost the cake. And we said, don't, I told her, don't touch it. It's for dessert tonight after dinner. Daddy said, don't touch it. Okay, you understand? Yeah, I won't touch it. I won't touch it. I come back five minutes later. There's a little finger swath on the side of the cake. Exactly the same size as her little finger. And there's nobody else home. So I pull her in. I say, hey, excuse me. Do you see that little finger swath on the side of the cake? Yes. And I see the chocolate (laughs) frosting on her cheek. Do you know anything about this? Now, why would I do that? I already know she did it. I had the evidence on her finger, on her cheek, on the cake. But why would I ask her that? I'm giving her opportunity. I'm her father. This is a learning moment. This is not the end of the world. I love her. I'm just trying to teach her not to lie. It's better to tell the truth and face the consequences than to lie and make things worse. Now, where did that nature that my little six-year-old preacher's daughter been in Sunday school her whole life? Uh, she prays every at every meal. Why? See, where did she get that sinful nature? Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, death passed upon all for all of sin. That sinful nature that all of us have for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, it came ultimately from Adam and it passes on through the seed of a man. <laughs> now, see, we're getting into some really cool theology now. Uh God promised in Isaiah that a virgin one day would conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then we fast forward to the New Testament, and we have an angel, Gabriel, visiting Mary and say, you're going to be with child. How can this be, seeing I know not a man? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and will be conceived in your womb, and you'll have a male child, and you'll call his name Jesus, which means Savior. And see, God's This is an incredible story. Man couldn't have written this thing. It's way too complicated, and yet it all fits together. The sinful nature that all of us have because we have a father. Jesus had no earthly father, therefore he had no sinful nature. Having no sinful nature, he was that lamb of God that uh, John the Baptist saw and recognized, connected all the dots. Behold, the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. When they offered that Passover lamb, it had to be perfect. Remember those passages back in the book of Exodus? (laughs) It's got to be perfect. And Jesus had no earthly father, had no sinful nature. He was the perfect lamb of God. 
And the Bible says slain from the foundation of the world. This wasn't some kind of a plan that, well, oh, no, they sinned. What do I do now? Uh, uh, No, no, this was the plan from the beginning. God's love was there waiting for us even after we messed up, even after my little girl uh, sinned (laughs) against her daddy. And I gave her opportunity to tell the truth, and she did. Uh, Not every time, but that time she did. And we had a teaching moment with Rachel, and I said, you know, wiped it off and said, thank you for telling daddy the truth. Always tell the truth and things will, will get forgiven and we'll just make it right. and We'll learn from it. But if you lie, it's only going to make things worse. And so God gave Adam opportunity to tell the truth. Does he do it? Nope. What does he do? He blames shifts. And who told you that you were naked? If you eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded you that you should not eat thereof? And the man said, are you ready? Verse 12, the woman, the woman that you gave me, it's not my fault. It was Eve. He's blaming her. God doesn't buy this. God held him accountable for the instructions that God gave him. You see, God's going to hold all of us accountable one day. He created us put us in a beautiful creation. We know that this is not all by time and chance. It's by plan and purpose. And there's that innate sense that people have. There's a creator. One day I'm going to meet him. What's he like? That's why he gave us the Bible so we don't have to guess. And he explains who he is. He is who he says he is. So he tries to pass it off, blame it on Eve. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. And that was sort of true. And I did eat. She kind of fessed up there. And then God speaks judgment again to Satan, says you'll be cursed. And in verse 15, I remember telling this, teaching this Bible class, man, it's like 43, it's like a, a, a month after we arrived, Mrs. Thibodeau, she had about, I think, seven kids. And I think every one of them got saved in our church. It was an amazing thing became one of our foundational families way back at the beginning and just hung out with one of those sisters yesterday. Uh, and uh, so we'd have many great memories with this family. And, and the mother said, after the bad news, <laughs> here's the bad news. You're a sinner and sin has separated you from God and this sin will send you to hell. The wages of sin is death and death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. That's the bad news. You got to if you don't know the bad news, you're not really going to appreciate the good news. So there's bad news, then there's good news, and then there's really good news. And we're just about ready for that. I remember Mary Thibodeau said, well, where does Jesus enter the picture? (laughs) Great question. We're in Genesis chapter three. We're in the third page of the Bible. Here comes Jesus. Here comes Christmas. I'm so excited. Verse 15, and I'll put enmity, God speaking judgment to Satan. We get the word enemy from that animosity, warfare, conflict between God and Satan, the battle of the universe, the epic battle of, of time between God and Satan, good and evil. I'll put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. What woman? Eve or some other woman? Uh, and between the woman and between thy seed, those who would follow us after Satan, your, your father, the devil, and I, I was a child of the devil as we all start out that way, between your seed, those who follow you, and her seed, the seed of a woman. It's kind of technical now. Seed of a woman, you are seed of your mother and father, just like I am seed of my mother and father. This is weird. This says the seed of a woman, no man involved. Aha, here comes Jesus Someday a woman without a man is going to have a child. It's going to be a masculine child. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Someday a redeemer will come. A savior will come. (laughs) Born of a woman, but no earthly father, a virgin will conceive. 
Here comes Jesus. He's going to fix the biggest problem of the universe. He's going to pay the consequences for our sin. And what, as he does, it's going to bruise. He's going to crush Satan's head, undo everything Satan's trying to do. Satan thinks, aha, I won. They're down. They're sinful. They're going to hell with me. Misery loves company. And God says, not so quick, Satan. I knew this would happen. I got a plan to fix it. One day, a redeemer. This is the first prophecy of the Bible. It's a prophecy about the coming redeemer, a savior's coming to fix what just happened, to fix our fall, to turn us from uh, spiritual death to spiritual life on our way to hell. Now on our way to heaven. Now, closing out. God gives us incredible illustration about what this Redeemer will do before God keeps his word. Remember, God said, the day you eat thereof to Adam and Eve, you die. That day you're going to die. And we see that when we read through chapter 3, chapter 4, they did not physically die that day. They did not emotionally die that day, but they did die that day spiritually god kicks them out of the garden separated from god that's what the word death means separated they were separated from god but he still loved them before he kicked them out he let them know hey i still love you i got a plan to fix this just keep listening to me did you learn your lesson just listen to me don't let the devil deceive you don't follow your feelings follow me i gave your emotions to be your servant not your master and so Towards the end of the chapter, they're wearing fig leaves. They're standing in the garden. God is physically present. We would call that a theophany, a bodily appearance of God in the Old Testament. And so it says in verse 21, now they're standing there wearing fig leaves. It says in verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife Eve did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Whoa. This is not a metaphor. This is not an allegory. This happened. Skins come from some kind of animals and uh, when you take an animal skin off of it it dies first it bleeds and then it dies and Adam and Eve are standing there and they're watching God said hey hey here comes we're not told what kind of animal we're not told what kind of fruit but having cheated and read the rest of the Bible 162 times I would guess it was a lamb the most humane way to take down a, a, a lamb or a farm animal is cut its throat. I've, I'm a homesteader. I've, I've done all this. It's not pretty. It's not fun. And there's a blast of blood and a death cry. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted as my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You're connecting the dots. Jesus, the Lamb of God. What did this lamb, what did this animal do to deserve that fate? Answer, absolutely nothing. What just happened here? We have the shedding of innocent blood, and the innocent died for the guilty. We have a blood sacrifice. We have a blood atonement, and we have a substitutionary death. So many of us knew these words before we knew what they really meant. Jesus died for me. He literally took your sin upon him. And when he did, the wrath of the Holy Father came upon him. He, he suffered, he bled, and he died for you, for me. 
he paid the price. And the veil in the temple was rent. Darkness had been upon the land. The graves were open. The earth quaked. God had kept his promise. That virgin-born son of God fulfilled all of this typology. That story that actually happened in the Garden of Eden is going to happen again. That time it was just the lamb. It was a picture of what was going to happen 4,000 years later when Jesus of Nazareth was condemned by Pilate, though Pilate knew he was innocent, condemns him to die, and they brutally beat him, crown him with a crown of thorns, mock him, strip him naked, nail him to a cross, because sin is ugly and it must be paid for. And God so loved you, loved me, he said I'll do it for him. I'll I'll pay the price. I'll 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 take the wrath. And when Jesus died for you and I, it's the ultimate man. He paid the price. What do we have to do? Here we have Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. God make the coats of skin. Fig leaves, that's religion. That's what man does to make himself feel better before God. Blood atonement. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So God made the coats of skin. What do Adam and Eve have to do now? They have to humble themselves and receive the coats of skin. God clothed them. He covered them. Their sin was covered. And every time it was a sacrifice, it was just a reminder, one day the Redeemer is coming. One day Jesus is going to come. Sacrifice after sacrifice through all 4,000 years, they waited until Jesus came. Born of the seed of Abraham, a Jew, as prophesied. Born of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. Born of the lineage of King David. Right on time, went to the cross, died, took the wrath of God's holiness against sin, against your sin and mine, it's personal Have you uh, given your heart to that Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in him that he paid for your sin? And if you haven't, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just pray that simple prayer. We call it the sinner's prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe you died for me. You paid the price of my sin. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. You pray that prayer from your heart. You're on your way to heaven. And for those of you that did, you remember that glorious day when you called on the Lord for me, June 18, 1972, 54 East Cook Road, Mansfield, Ohio, about, uh, about 7.53 p.m. I got on my knees and I prayed that prayer. and He changed everything. For those of you who know him and for those of you who love him, uh, I hope this exegetical, um, I call it the gospel in the garden, this third page of the Bible laid it all out. You're a sinner. You're on your way to hell, but God loves you had a plan to fix it through the seed of a woman a virgin would come would crush the serpent's head (laughs) when he died and as he did so he cried out on that cross that triumphant cry of victory it is finished and so is my podcast for today so god bless you love you thank you for tuning in pray that you'll download uh, uh prescribe inscribe describe and share all that stuff helps me uh, get the the word of god out so thanks for tuning me in again i pray my teaching of god's word is a blessing to you 
Love you. Bye-bye for now.